0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not
1: too much, Andrew. You sound terrible, man. You were coughing up a lung about five minutes ago when we first got on this phone call. I understand you're sick. So I've got good news for you. I'm going to take it easy on you today. You know, I've been, you know, jabbing you left and right for a solid two years. You're going (laughs) to get a kinder, gentler uh, version of myself uh, for you to deal with today. And Hopefully, our listeners are going to extend a warm embrace to you as you try to recover from what sounds like potentially the bird flu. <laughs>
0: no, I'm not going to go that far. I've been a little under, we- under the weather the past few days, and uh, I appreciate you. You Basically, I called you and was like, I don't know if we should do the podcast, and you said to me, just hop on my back. I'll carry us. Don't even worry about it. So. We're gonna give it a go here, and I appreciate always a kinder, softer Golliver. Um, but don't be too kind, you know. I, I need I need an authentic experience at the same time. Look, I offered
1: to carry you because I'm used to it. You know, it's it's just another day for me.
0: <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Perfect. Um, all right. So, what do you want to do? We've got we've got some questions here. We can talk. We can hit any number of areas around the league i feel like we're in kind of a a dead spot in the season where like the news has kind of calmed down in part because we've hit everything already like we already talked about the nuggets and then they blew that game against the clippers earlier this week so (laughs) i don't know i don't know how much more we can say about some of this stuff so what what jumps out at you right now
1: no i love it you're the first one to twist the knife deeper that's usually my job well andrew the first thing i want to do is start off with a couple thoughts Number one, yes, the NCAA tournament is coming up. People are going to shift their focus to college basketball. Guys, we don't stop this podcast during March. We're going to keep bringing heat twice a week the whole way through. And the other thing I want to do, Andrew, is just say a thank you to everyone who's been emailing to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I actually got a really nice email uh, from this woman in Northern California Kiara and she said we should we should be real proactive Andrew We should solicit emails from female listeners uh, because we need to get more female perspectives on the show. I love that idea so let's go ahead and do that. Uh, same thing goes for you know fans you know around the, uh, the globe. We love hearing from the Germans and the Chinese people and everyone else who's listening there. so if you've got ideas send them in. Now with that being said, let's talk uh, I think pacers maybe because we got a question from Jeffrey right?
0: Yes. So Jeffrey said, <laughs> and this is how you know it's a dead week. We're, we're talking about the Pacers. Jeffrey says, the Pacers have dropped the last two games to the tanking Mavs and Hawks. I looked at Indiana's schedule and they've now got some tough matchups ahead. Any chance Indiana slides out of the playoffs? So to begin with, we'll list their games coming up. It's Pacers-Bucks on Friday, Pacers-Wizards on Sunday, and... Uh, pace, and then they they get the Bucks again, the Jazz, the Celtics, and then they've got a, a matchup with the Hawks wedged in there. Um, I guess what I would say to begin with is I have no idea how the Pacers have remained in the thick of the playoff race as long as they have. I th- I think like each month I've I've looked up and seen Indiana in the middle of the East, and like I just don't know how they're doing this, and so now I think. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they sort of like regressed to the 7th or 8th seed, but I think that they are a little bit too talented to actually fall out of the playoffs in part because like the Pistons are also sort of cratering right now and like I don't know who who is going to be there to like take that spot. Yeah, the reason
1: why I wanted to start with the Pacers is cuz I think it's very illustrative of the difference between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference right now in terms of those playoff pictures. In the West, As we mentioned last episode, it's an absolute dogfight with these crazy stakes where every single team is in the situation where, like, if they miss out or if they get, uh, you know, spoiled by, like, say, the Clippers or the Utah uh, Jazz, it's really going to ruin their season. In the Eastern Conference, it's a different picture because there's already a pretty big developed gap uh, between. Uh, teams like the Pacers, who might be floundering a little bit, and the Pistons, like Indiana's five games up in the last column on, on Detroit, like it would take a really big slide, uh, for them to fall out of the ninth. Whereas teams that are in that five-six range in the Western Conference, it, it doesn't take nearly as much for them to maybe get spoiled. Uh, you know, you look yeah. at some of the projection models. I mean, Indiana is still considered essentially a ninety percent shot to make the playoffs. Uh, Detroit in the number nine seed in the East right now is considered essentially an 80% shot, uh, to miss the playoffs. So I think the takeaway from here, if I was a Pacers fan, I'd still be uh, feeling pretty good. And if I was a Pistons fan, I would be ripping my hair out because what happened? Like, <laughs> they, they make this huge swing for Blake Griffin, uh, right. And that's supposed to propel them. And the momentum lasted, you know, what one game, two games, three games. And at this point, uh, you know, they're, they're under 500. They don't have, uh, really the, the look of a team that's planning some big, hard push. Uh, and then if they do get in, it's going to be by the very skin of their teeth. So I'm actually kind of of the opinion where in the West, I have no idea who the final te- eight teams are going to be still. I, I think there's a shot that, you know, the Clippers or the Jazz do sneak in. In the East, I'm pretty comfortable saying the eight teams that are in right now are going to be the eight teams that are there uh, by the end of it.
0: Yeah, I mean... The Pistons, man, every time I look up... Granted, they did beat the Bucks on Wednesday night, but that Bucks team was coming off a back-to-back, uh, and they, they just didn't have it. Um, but Detroit had basically like eight days where they had they put together a couple of wins after that Blake trade, and there were a lot of people who popped up being like, maybe it wasn't so bad after all, and, uh, and just ever since then ever since that first stretch where there was a lot of told you so going around the internet like it's been pretty brutal and Blake Blake kind of looks flat Andre Drummond actually his numbers are still really solid but basically beyond the like resurrection of Drummond this year there's just not a lot of hope in Detroit and it really like i it's it's a bummer because it definitely ends with like Stan Van Gundy getting fired in like nine months or ten months in the middle of next year but it uh, I like it's this is now gonna a situation where it's gonna take four or five years for them to like dig out of this
1: well the good thing is they're used to that because they've been trying to dig out of stuff for the last eight years so there's really no change there just fan base same mentality you guys know how to do this let me ask you are these eight teams that are in the east uh, playoff picture right now so Toronto Boston Cleveland Washington Indiana Philadelphia Milwaukee and Miami? aren't those the eight teams that we want to see in the playoffs? Like, would you flop Detroit in for any of those from sort of an entertainment value standpoint? Or should we just pray that this is how it lines up? Because I kind of like the the way this bracket is shaking up. I mean, you know, Indiana to me, like they're definitely that quintessential cute story <laughs> where, to be honest, I'm probably you're not like. going to watch. You know, I'll watch their playoff games, but I'm not going to be excited to do it. You know, it's going to be one of those early games on NBA TV where you're kind of like rubbing your your eyes, trying to stay awake during some of those games. But Getting Philly and Milwaukee uh, to go along with the teams who we thought were going to be sort of the strength of the conference—that's sort of the best case scenario to me. And Miami, they're plucky too. Like, why not throw them in there? See what happens.
0: Hell yeah! And I, I would echo your sentiments on Indiana. I feel like they are the clear NBA TV series. Uh, like whoever they match up with, it's going to be on NBA TV. But uh, but looking at like Detroit and Charlotte, I don't want to see them like push their way into the playoffs over the, over the next four or five weeks. I think we've got a solid eight team uh, group here. And some of these series could be a lot of fun. And like, I think especially after last year's playoffs, we're almost conditioned to just sort of like wait for the, for the final rounds because like, there just hasn't been a whole lot of drama. Um, But first round, like Miami versus Toronto, that could that could get a little bit interesting. I mean, Toronto has been playing incredibly well, but like all bets are off, no matter who they're playing in. the Well, playoffs. look, um, there there will be blood in that series. I mean, if that's how it matches, <laughs> there will up, be like, right.
1: Someone's bleeding. It's going to happen. There's going to be ejections. Like there's just too many people. Whether it's Dragic, Ibaka, guys who are just in the mix, right? Uh, not
0: to mention James Johnson. I mean, there there something will happen if that's how it lines up. And I don't know why, like. Maybe I'm putting too much faith in the heat, but I just think that they're going to be a pain in the ass to knock out whoever they match up with. And it really does look like it's going to be 1-8 with Toronto. And uh, like they just have too many guys who are who are kind of feisty, overachiever-type dudes. Dwayne Wade is the one wild card, because that could really go either way. Like He's either out there for 25 minutes and hurting your team, or he's like... Carrying them in the fourth quarter, and you're just like, "Holy shit!" Is it 2009? So I, that's that's a wild card that'll be kind of interesting to watch.
1: Well, and then the the real thing that's setting up is there's a very good chance that Cleveland gets either Milwaukee or Philly in the first round. I mean, just that could be the best first round series in years, right? In terms, I mean, maybe not the closest, but in terms of like entertainment value, what do you want to see? LeBron versus Giannis, LeBron versus Embiid and Simmons. I mean. That's appointment
0: television compared to some of the junk we've seen these last couple of years. I would love to see. We need to get at least one Giannis Lebron playoff series while Lebron is still basically at his peak, because uh, base like anytime those two play in the regular season, it ends up being a pretty phenomenal night. And uh, watching them go back and forth, and also like this Cavs team. <clears throat> Granted, like they did great at the deadline, but they're also still a lot more vulnerable than any Cavs team we've seen over the last three or four years. So like there are going to be some wars along the way. I don't think that there it's going to be like LeBron sweeping his way to the conference finals the way it has been the last few years.
1: I'm with you. I mean, it, it, you know, pick your analogy. Do you want to call the the Cavaliers? They're sort of like the Celtics for Jordan, you know, when he was first coming up, maybe they're sort of like the bad exactly. boy Pistons or whatever. We need that. We need that, like, uh, that hurdle for Yadis to kind of like run into a wall to inspire him for future years. So I mean, if that's how it, it shakes out in the first round, I mean, that's a huge win. I would really love to see Milwaukee move up a couple spots though uh, so they could take out a team you know a vulnerable team sort of like maybe the Washington Wizards in the first round so that we could see Giannis go a little deeper and and really up the stakes for his eventual showdown with LeBron but look I'm not going to get greedy if it happens in the first round that's
0: great. Yes exactly well the first round is probably the simplest route because I don't totally trust that Bucks team to advance depending on what the matchup is. Um, I will say the Wizards looked pretty solid in Milwaukee the other night, and they followed that up by being a complete disaster against the Warriors in D.C. But hey, it was a it was a back to back. That's probably the only reason they lost. Um, hey, but- I got a, qu- <laughs> a real quick question for you on
1: on the subject of the Bucks.
0: Jabari's back.
1: Uh, were you as disoriented as I was to kind of see him back on the court? You know, maybe it was the first time it was like last week or something like that. But it was like back from the dead. You know, he had really been gone for a while. <laughs> Uh, I want to say he had around 20 points or something when I was watching him recently. I mean, you have any big Jabari Parker, his back takes or other than just, hey, cool. You know, that's nice.
0: A little bit. Yeah, it's it's weird because I, I was thinking about it watching him against the Wizards um, and I was talking to a friend about it last night uh, like it's really nice to see him back and and we've heard a lot of different media members like say how how great a story it is that he has come back and how how he deserves this and everything else. And I think that's all completely true. But I just I still don't love his fit on this Bucks team and when he's out on the court I feel a little bit more comfortable as a, as an opponent as a, as a fan of an opposing team, like I'm more confident when when Jabari is out there because the offensive flow doesn't totally work, and then the defense is still an issue. And it's and so basically, like it's great that he's healthy. Um, and I, I still love his game because he kind of like moves in slow motion and somehow makes it work. Uh, it's it's like watching someone from like the late seventies. Uh, and in particular because he he rocks those short shorts. But it would be great to get him in a situation where it makes more sense. And I feel like in part because so many different people have so much invested in Giannis, watching Jabari in that mix is kind of... It, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes.
1: Yeah, What you're saying about his slow motions... Is right. I mean, I'm almost picturing it like it's a remote control. So you have Kyle Anderson, who's sort of like frame by frame slow mo. Then you've got Jabari Parker, totally. who's sort of like halfway slow mo. And then you've got a guy like Harden, who his herky jerk is like 90% slow mo. So he's just constantly getting fouls because, you know, he, he's just out of rhythm, not uh, moving like you would expect him to move. I mean, that kind of a visual uh, aspect of the game is fun to watch. Hey, I just realized though, we, we might've buried the lead here because we're so excited about Toronto, Miami. We're salivating over a potential of Cleveland and Milwaukee. The best series of all of them could be Boston, Philly, right? I mean, maybe we just like screwed that up five (laughs) minutes ago. I mean, that could be better than Cleveland, Milwaukee, frankly, if that's how it shakes out.
0: Don't worry. Okay. That was on my list. And, uh, in part because those are two of the liveliest, to put it diplomatically, the liveliest fan bases on the internet. And so watching those Hooligans. two... Like, yeah, like watching that the Twitter armies go back and forth at each other for seven games would be amazing. And then also, I mean, look, the Celtics are talented enough to potentially make a finals run. And Hayward is kind of a variable in there. Like, I, I actually heard that he's he's probably not going to come back, um, in part because, like, Hayward himself is be he wants to be as cautious as he can be about this injury. Um, but either way, like, they have the talent to make a finals run, and they are also just ordinary enough to potentially lose a first-round series. And obviously... As as listeners of Open Floor know, I am I'm like half like diehard Celtics hater and half objective NBA writer, and so the hater in me would love to root for Embiid to knock them out of the playoffs. It would be incredible.
1: Well, I think public opinion, public sentiment would be like 90% in favor of Philly, don't you? I mean, I think it would just be overwhelming. But totally. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. Hey, good news, Andrew. Only six weeks till the playoffs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it should be good. Can, can we talk about LeBron to the Sixers for one second? Because that's been in the news over the last 10 days or so as well. I mean, there was... I love... Nothing makes me happier than the, like, private school rumors that have now become, like, a a part of the LeBron discourse. We, we still haven't heard uh, San Antonio private school rumors, but I like that that got thrown out with Philly. I just... The one thing that doesn't make sense to me is, like, I understand that they're an up-and-coming team, but LeBron's game would not fit at all with Ben Simmons. So, basically, if you're saying LeBron should go to Philly, like, I think it implies a Ben Simmons trade.
1: It's a tricky fit because LeBron, you can't say, oh, we're just going to move LeBron off the ball. That's anathema. Like LeBron, that's LeBron's already checked right. out. If you try to float that in your free agency pitch meeting of like, hey, we've got a 20-year-old who we're going to have the ball in his hands all the time. LeBron's already out the door. It's, it's just a non-starter. And you can't really play Simmons off the ball consistently. So that's really tricky. I don't see any scenario where they trade Ben Simmons. So it would either be a forced fit where you just stagger their minutes a lot, always have one of them. uh, That would be one option. Two, it just doesn't happen. Three, they just magically fix Ben Simmons shooting over the summer, which is very unlikely. So uh, I think you raise a good point. Uh, The fit is not as clean there uh, as it could be, and... It would make more sense for LeBron to do that if he was like two or three years older and like ready to uh, relinquish, you know, some of the control and maybe just like play power forward full time, um, you know, and, and be willing to, you know, just try to score, you know, crafty stuff around the basket and not be that lead playmaker. And that time would be potentially coming for LeBron. But I think it's more likely that he cedes control to like, LeBron James Jr., you know, Bronny, in five or six years <laughs> than he would to sort of like his surrogate son, Ben Simmons, right now, you know?
0: You know what, man? You predicted that like a year and a half ago when we probably had like 20% of the audience that we do now. But the that, to me, is like your best long-term bet. And I can't wait until LeBron and LeBron Jr. are on the same team because I really... Not only is it impressive that you called it, but I really think it's going to happen at some point. So well, it's it's um, sweeping
1: the internet. I see everybody taking this uh, taking this up. And I just I know want
0: it. it's now a thing. Like it's, oh, it's now kind of real already. And uh, it, we're who knows who knows what happens over the next few years. The only thing I would I would add to the LeBron and Philly stuff is that the the two things that make me believe it could happen are number one, I could see him looking at the Brian Colangelo front office and realizing that he would have a ton of power in Philly and feeling like he could sort of do whatever he wanted when he, when he got there, which that might be attractive to him at this point. Like he may not want to go to a San Antonio. Oh, you're flipping it. (laughs) No, like, look, LeBron wants to be empowered to do whatever LeBron wants. And so that could be a factor in Philly because I think he would be given, like, free reign to do whatever. And then the Simmons fit, the other side of it is LeBron might just not have a very good sense for, like, basketball fit sometimes um, because he's wanted to play with Chris Paul, which also would be kind of awkward. And even Love was a situation where, like, they kind of play the same position and and are operating out of the same spots on the court. And, like, that has not worked as well as everyone thought it was going to so there's a chance that this is LeBron if if the rumors are real there's a chance that this is LeBron looking at the Philly roster and not really thinking thinking it through as much although uh I mean he's also I'm not questioning his his like basketball IQ but I think that in the past he's made some mistakes
1: I think he's really come around to the importance of shooting, though. So I think he would understand the flaw that Simmons has. That is really, really difficult to work around. I, I think he would get that. Your, your point's well taken. But this reminds me a lot of your toilet cup theory from last episode, where you don't want the tournament of the mediocre teams, you want the absolute worst teams to play each other. Because yes. my whole operating premise has been he should go to the the organizations that have the best front offices that will provide him the support and kind of ease his burden. But it's a lot funnier to rank LeBron. LeBron destinations by the worst front offices and the worst ownership groups because finally the Phoenix Suns have a chance to get him. Like their their pitch is essentially, you know, their billboard on I-77 as LeBron's driving up from Akron would be like, We're hopeless at every level. Come save us.
0: <laughs> We've been a ghost ship for like ten years. Just come do whatever you want. Um, Man, that that yeah. is funny let's move on and let's talk a little bit you mentioned the toilet cup uh, did you did you read I basically after our podcast on Monday I started to write about the like anti-tanking tournament and on Tuesday afternoon took like three or four hours and got very deep into it.
1: Well, I saw your handwritten scratch drawings. Uh, I don't know if you were like preparing your NCA bracket pool. Maybe you spent a little too much time at you know Buffalo Wild Wings. You probably just came on into B Dubs, and and were writing this on uh, you, you know the bar counter as you're drinking your ranch and eating your uh, cheese curds. But look. Uh, I was getting worried about you, Andrew. That's kind of how I knew you were sick because it's reminded me like, you know, h- shades of Carrie from Homeland, you know, her wild conspiracy theories, you know, handwritten <laughs> on the wall, maybe a little bit of like an investigation from like the Wires team, you know, back in the day when and they're throwing tennis balls around and listening in on wiretaps. I mean, this was a little bit of a, a deep end moment for you.
0: It It, it was, okay. <laughs> and... I'm not here to say that my idea was perfect, but I do think that just opening up the lottery to a full-on tournament could be a lot of fun. And here's Billy says, I love the idea for the tournament, but the best part would be watching players realize that the prize they're playing for is their replacement. Could you imagine NBA Twitter when Alfred Payton clanks two free throws in the final minute because he's a restricted free agent and doesn't want the suns to jump into the top 3 to draft Trey Young. It would be incredible. And that's I part can, of what I, I can love about Definitely imagine
1: that, can't you? I mean with basically <laughs> what we already have, it doesn't it's not a real stretch there.
0: Yeah, it would be a fascinating human experiment. Others have pointed out that like pending free agents wouldn't want to play hard to improve the draft position of their team. I do think that like one of the things that I I genuinely like about this hypothetical tournament that is probably never going to happen is the idea that like you and I almost every week talk about like stranded superstars this would be kind of like a life preserver for stranded superstars but they would have to play their way to help like Blake Griffin would have to carry the Pistons to a top three pick in order to sort of like improve the the future there and then teams could could flip those picks and trade them in June and like it would be a lot of fun and it would also eliminate a lot of the tanking that we're seeing now where like look there are 10 teams that are currently like aggressively punting on the the final six weeks or two months of the season it's pretty bad
1: and I want to ask you a question about that because I'm wondering it's very easy for ivory tower syndrome to sink in uh, like at the league office level or just any corporation like when you're removed from the actual environments you know physically mentally uh all of it it's a lot uh, you know it warps your decision making right so like i wonder adam silver's always going to all star weekend he's always going to the finals he's always going to sort of he'll show up at like high profile nationally televised games I wonder if he was forced to sit through some of these games down the stretch, like the King's (laughs) Suns example that we've mentioned, like if he went to those games in person and he had to sit through the entire game, do you think he would have even more radical solutions to this tanking stuff? I wonder if, if part of it is just simply like it's easier to turn a blind eye or to downplay it or to pretend it's not happening when you get huge TV ratings from the Cavaliers, Warriors, Rockets, whoever else you're putting on TV over and over again. But, uh, you know, we've said in the past, at least I have, I feel terrible for season ticket holders. Uh, and anyone yeah. at this point who's a season ticket holder for one of those nine teams, deep down, they feel like a sucker, you know, and they're spending uh, a lot of mental energy convincing themselves why it wasn't a waste of money, right? And they're probably handing away tickets to friends at some point, giving them out as gifts. Maybe they're like us. They they take this perverse uh, enjoyment out of watching guys like Marquise Chris just butcher well- the sport. <laughs> But and I, to be I mean, clear,
0: f- to be clear, we're watching these games in like 15-minute increments. Like when I say I enjoy Suns Grizzlies, I'm like <laughs> flipping through and watching 5 to 10 minutes and then being like, "Oh my god, I need to do something more productive with my night." I can't imagine actually being there. And I think yeah. this is this is a good theory that like the best way to fix tanking is to make some of these NBA ex- executives go sit through like Five straight Grizzlies games because I was at a Grizzlies Wizards game earlier in the year, and I could not believe how bad their roster was, how bad their like their starting lineup was, and uh, I I mean it's the type of thing where like until you really see it, you don't appreciate how dire the things have gotten.
1: Totally. I mean, I, one game that sticks out for me was a Lakers Suns game two years ago. It was so bad that the my column, the headline was just simply "The Suns are the worst team in the NBA," and I was just running yeah. down like how just <laughs> pathetic and terrible they were. And this was like in the middle of Philly's like hardcore tanking when you know saying anybody besides Philly being the worst team in the league was like you know basically uh, you know sacrilegious, but. It's difficult to watch those games. Maybe what we should do here over the next six weeks is set up a tank tour for Adam Silver where we pick out like the 15 (laughs) worst head-to-head matchups, and then he just has to crisscross the country with like his key uh, deputies watching all of these games. I guarantee you, if he really did that, if he honestly sat through 15 full games, if he paid for parking, if he had to fight traffic to get to the arena, all the stuff that fans have to do... I don't think his modest lottery reform would be the only thing he comes up with for next year. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> I mean, Suns-Grizzlies last night would have been on the, the Adam Silver tanking tour. Both teams had lost 10 straight coming into that game. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to accuse the Suns of anything, but they benched TJ Warren with a suspicious injury going into that game, uh, although they did ultimately prevail. Josh Jackson has looked pretty good over the last month or so, at least putting up good numbers. It's hard to really gauge how how real any of the Suns' numbers are because they're such a disaster. Um, still, great theory from you, and this is actually a good opportunity. Can you explain your theory of the... Uber commercial with LeBron and oh, Kevin Durant.
1: Yeah, I can't. So people remember that they had a real headline making video. LeBron and KD are in the back of an Uber driven by, I believe, Carrie Champion from ESPN. I believe I got that right. Um, yes. and they're discussing all these topics. And the big headline was basically LeBron taking shots at Trump, and then that turned into the whole shut up and dribble controversy, right? But Barry to be in clear, that-,
0: that part, that part was cool. I enjoyed that.
1: No, yeah, this has nothing to do with that. And we thought LeBron's handling of the shut up and dribble thing at All-Star Weekend, I thought it was pretty masterful. I mean, he, he really nailed it. I'm pretty sure we talked about that uh, previously. However, one little nugget that jumped out to me when I watched that video, and I'll be honest, at some point when you're just criticizing the president, it all runs together. So I didn't even latch onto that part of it when I was watching it the first time. The part that jumped out to me, uh, because it was sort of top 100 oriented, and that's how my brain works, is when basically LeBron and KD are referring to each other as the top two players in the game, and they were saying that in the context of it's our job to like make sure the All Star Game uh, is competitive this year, right? And I believe LeBron said it first, but then KD also said it, and clearly, as we joked, you know, maybe Steph Curry was like hiding in the trunk or whatever; he was nowhere to be found in this Uber ride. <laughs> but i i started to think about those comments they are a lot more reckless and sort of like eye popping than you might think at first because of the implications with curry i mean first of all why is kevin durant in this car with lebron james i mean i understand that they're you know probably friendly or at least you know colleagues off the court but it's a weird yeah. look during the middle of the season and then for LeBron to say that he and Kevin Durant are the top two players in the game makes all the sense in the world. But for Kevin Durant to say it, it really doesn't make that much <laughs> sense because it's he's clearly shading Steph in that scenario, right? So my theory is this. LeBron is trying to do that old Kobe Bryant trick of splitting uh, the team that he fears. So remember, Kobe Bryant like went to Russell Westbrook and was essentially saying, hey, man, you need to shoot a lot more because he was trying to kind of slow down the thunder and, and thinking that if Westbrook was uh, doing too much, that would limit OKC's effectiveness. It would kind of diminish what Kevin Durant's able to do, and the Lakers would be able to beat the Thunder. Like That was that famous anecdote. I kind of think yeah. LeBron's doing the same thing here. I think he's saying, look, KD... You're definitely better than Steph and trying to play those mind games, so that Steph is looking at this video and saying like, "Oh, that's a weird thing for LeBron to say," but then he's also <laughs> watching the video and seeing, "Wait a minute, Kevin Durant's going along with it. He's not standing up for me, Steph Curry. He's saying that he's better than me." Uh, so that's my theory. And the second part of the theory is this: we've seen Kevin Durant. If there's one flaw that even people like me who stand out for him at basically every turn, right? If there's one flaw he has personality-wise, it's sort of a lack of self-awareness, right? Like he didn't really understand the whole uh, implications of the burner account. He went to India and offended a lot of people because he was talking about quote-unquote monkeys in the street. I mean, there's just certain times he's, he's a little too far into his own head. I wonder if uh, that came through in this video too. Like he thinks, Oh yeah, it's really nice that LeBron calls me one of the top two players in the world. (laughs) And he's not even considering the implications of that statement in his own locker room or towards Steph Curry.
0: Yes. Well, that's what I love about it because you basically explained it to me as this is like textbook LeBron playing Machiavellian games with Steph and KD and textbook KD just sort of naively going along and not really understanding what's happening. And uh I absolutely hate that Uber commercial in <laughs> in large part because I'm just a Steph stan and it I feel like it's a it's an injustice to just exclude him from the conversation entirely. He's basically won like three of the last four titles or something. But having said that, or is it two of the last three? Maybe not I don't know. Um, I'm on a lot it's, of cold medicine right now. It's
1: okay. It's it's two of the last three, but you know we're all preparing for three of the last four. But let me ask you, just frankly, I mean, you are in tune with thirty. You know, you spend a lot of time praising him throughout <laughs> all aspects of your life. If you're him watching that commercial, what is your
0: honest reaction? I don't think he cares. I and and are we to, sure? to finish my thought, I will say that I now love the commercial having after having listened to your explanation of it because it really makes a lot of sense and it's kind of amazing. But I don't think I don't think that Steph watches stuff like that and really pays attention to it. Um uh, he just seems like he's on kind of a different level playing a different game. Um and so yeah, I I just think it, we we would have heard more about friction internally over the last two years if Steph was the type of dude who hadn't. Yeah, I think he's he's wired more like Tim Duncan, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I just wonder though if he watches that, swallows all of it, and then just like goes into the gym and just like sits down at half court and just practices like seated half court swishes like thirty in a row, just to like channel <laughs> all of his rage into some like you know crazy shooting display that we've never seen before because. He is so good and he has improved so much during his NBA career that below the exterior there is a fierce competitor and I would say the same thing about Duncan you know it's a great comparison that you made Steve Kerrs made that before other guys have too you don't get where these guys are without being like ruthless And I don't see how a ruthless person could watch that video and just laugh along with KD and like, ha, 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 like I'm riding shotgun next to (laughs) Carrie Champion and I'm completely like, you know, snubbing the guy whose team I joined. I mean, if I was Steph, I would have a big problem with it.
0: Yes. Well, I definitely feel snubbed on his behalf. So don't worry about it. Um... All right, Ben. It's time to move on. But before we do, it's time for our favorite part of the podcast week. Let's talk mattresses. Let us tell you about Mattress Firm. Everyone knows how important stretching is before a big sporting event. So does Mattress Firm, except Mattress Firm is here to stretch your dollar.
1: Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. It's a true slam dunk. Look, Andrew... Mattress Firm is the head coach when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they're more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively Covered up like your favorite three and D wing.
0: Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as we speak. They even offer you a 120 night sleep trial to en- ensure perfection and a 120 night low price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one two punch like Beal and Saturansky,
1: like Isaiah Thomas and Lonzo Ball. <laughs> Score big. With a perfect bed for mattressfirm.com slash podcast. So head over there to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Mattressfirm.com slash podcast. Andrew, I know you're under the weather. Nothing helps you get healthier more quickly than a nice Mattress Firm mattress. That's
0: right. I'm going to order a mattress and then sleep 14 hours. Uh, All right, let's move on here. This is something we haven't really talked about much, but... It's one of the biggest stories in sports. Nicholas says, What are your takes on the idea of paying college athletes? Do you believe that this will become a future thing? Or do you believe that top high school prospects will skip the college system altogether in the future? And then uh, we also got an email from Gus who says, In my opinion, the G League should basically have no age limits and work toward paying the best players not ready for the NBA. Justin Bieber didn't have to pretend to cut records for free. Why should our young (laughs) athletes be forced to... (laughs) find reasonable professional refuge overseas. The G League could let the world see if these young bucks can take on the likes of Kendrick Perkins and Jimmer Fredette while also paying everyone reasonable rates for their services. So there are a lot of different angles we can take on the FBI college basketball scandal, but what jumps out at you first?
1: I mean, just to kind of put my cards on the table, I think you should be able to go straight to the league you know and i think the nba is in a different place now than it was you know 15 years ago i think in terms of yeah. structure and you know scouting and and all the things that would be needed to sort of make sure that those players could get an honest appraisal of where they're going to get drafted and the teams would be able to do a better job of sort of managing the risks i don't think there's that many players every year who are sort of in that group who are ready to to turn pro. And I think when those players do come along, it's just always so obvious that they should just get in the league as soon as possible. I'm in favor of that. I don't spend any mental energy on the NCAA. It's a mess. We all know it's a mess. Uh, It's not going to be cleaned up easily, and it doesn't really impact the NBA in any major way. I, I look at Ben Simmons as the perfect case study. I loved what he had said about his NCAA experience, sort of being a waste of time. I like what LeBron said about how you know essentially he would have had to be paid by somebody. He wasn't going to be staying poor if he went to college. Um, I don't have any problems with players who take the money uh, in that situation. I just think it's very exploitative. And the quicker we can get the talent in the NBA when they're ready, the better. I love the idea of of the G League being a compromise. I don't think it's ready yeah. to, to do that yet. And financially, it's not even close. I mean, I, I think I told you this when I was writing my story about the Clippers two-way players. You know, G League guys, on average, make $25,000 a year. You can't live on that in LA. You know, if you're playing for the, the LA... <laughs> uh you know, you're know, you playing in the LA G League team. That's where you're getting you know, drafted to. I mean, that is just as much a waste of your year as going to college would be. And you could honestly argue from a visibility standpoint, it would be a worse move for a prospect like that. Just go play at Duke, be on TV during the tournament uh, and then get ready for the pre-draft. I mean, that, that would, to me, would be a better business move. So I think we're kind of stuck. If I could have any change in this entire situation, it would be allowing players who are truly ready out of out of uh, high school to come straight and then you know pass that. Just let the NCA mess be the NCA's mess. I don't I don't see any reason for guys like us who are analyzing a superior product to even worry about what's going on down there.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting situation because it, there aren't easy solutions. Because I part of me definitely agrees with you that like if a, if guys are eighteen years old and ready to play in the NBA, like a LeBron, like a Ben Simmons. Like, they should be allowed to go. But I also think that, like, toward the end of the high school to the NBA era, we were starting to see, like, 10 or 15 guys go pro, and a lot of them were not ready to do anything in the NBA for, like, two or three years. And so, eventually, that begins to hurt, like, the NBA's bottom line, and we've, we're already dealing with a situation where like seven or eight teams at the bottom of the league aren't trying to compete. So I wonder whether there's some sort of middle ground solution where like high school kids can go and then be sent down to the D league for two years and, uh, and make more than $25,000, but not like a full rookie contract or something. Um, It's just, it's a tough nut to crack because I think teams are always going to feel obligated to bet on the potential of, like 18 year old kids but i think especially like the earlier you draft guys the more just like complete misses you you're, you're going to have and uh and that's like i understand why nba teams and and the league itself says that like it's better for our bottom line and like the business of all of our players to try and limit that limit that phenomenon from sort of taking hold
1: yeah i also wonder though like remember when you wrote your international piece and you said Like everybody was trying to do the dirt copycat for a while. So they were drafting all these players who like weren't ready to go. And then they realized after they made those mistakes, it was like, okay, we can't just take any player from Europe here. We really have to do our due diligence and scout this out. I kind of think the same phenomenon would happen with the guys straight from high school. Like I think
0: you might be right. That's actually a good point.
1: The level of detail and analysis and video, I mean, like guys like Zion Williamson, right? We've been watching that guy for like three years on video highlights. And so the level of uh, information that's accessible to those teams on prospects now compared to even 10 years ago is so much higher, not only because of the availability and proliferation of video clips, doesn't matter where you play, you know, guys like us can watch a guy from South Carolina play, uh, you know, it could be anywhere in the world. Uh, so it's not just the video component, but the stats too. I mean, we've got numbers on guys, you know, whether it's high school, whether it's AAU stats sometimes, uh, I just think they would be able to do a much better job of analyzing those players than they were, uh, you know, during some of like the, the infamous misses. And not only that, but if you don't get drafted, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world anymore either, because the G league is better than it was. And going yeah. overseas to me is more common now for guys who don't get drafted. So, uh, I just think the risks, like if you're a high school player coming out, the risks aren't as bad as they look. And for anyone who doesn't want to deal with the NCAA's nonsense or, you know, finds themselves in a situation where they did take money, now they're not eligible or, or whatever the, the case may be, there are better options already in place. And, you know, for that reason, the forcing people to go to school for a year, to me, it doesn't seem like the wisest uh setup.
0: Yeah, and part of me from a, from an NBA perspective, I I wonder whether they have stayed on the sidelines in this in part because that they are kind of just waiting for the entire system to collapse and yep. and to infuse like the G League with more talent because like you talk about the NCAA to me what's most evil about all of this stuff and and maybe evil is overstating it, but it it really is wrong to me to say that like DeAndre Ayton can't sign with Nike and can't get paid $500,000 to to sign an endorsement deal or whatever he would get but like basically there are a lot of companies out there who are willing to pay these star players who basically carry the sport and uh, and so like I understand when schools are like it's not financially feasible for us to pay every kid on on the roster $70,000 or whatever the number would be but if Nike will do it with a handful of, of players who are actually selling the game, like at that point, it's really, really wrong to keep them from, from getting that money. And, um, and the, the NCAA's just sort of basically been living this lie for, I mean, 100 years at this point. And part of me wonders why the NBA hasn't put more pressure on them to fix it. And then I I guess the answer, the more I think about it, is probably because they are just betting on this whole system to collapse and at which point the, the league will start to like DeAndre Ayton will play for the Santa Cruz Warriors instead of Arizona in, in, in ten years.
1: Yeah, it's possible I think also like that's a huge battle that would get ugly. So from a PR standpoint, you're avoiding that. And then also they do get the one year of extra evaluation time so there are always going to be some owners who are like look let's keep this rule in place because it it helps protect us from making mistakes on younger players so uh i think there are going to be voices in the nba that would be pro ncaa voices and unless you have like complete unanimity in saying we're going to war with the ncaa we're trying to take them down so we can have all the talent and we want to make sure our guys get paid um because we're trying to stand up for the players unless you had complete uh everybody on board with that uh that's a tough sell and it's really sticky. And I think, well look, there's also okay. a lot of loyalty among NBA guys towards the NCAA too. I mean, like how often do we hear about the Tar Heels guys getting together for dinners? Like the Kentucky guys, you know, Dwayne Casey still goes back to Kentucky to meet with all the other and that's, coaches so, and players. And that's part and,
0: of why, that's part of why I think that Adam Silver and the NBA should, should think harder about, about the value of college basketball as what's essentially like a minor league system for them. And it f- free marketing for players who are coming into the league. Like, there's real value to sending guys to college instead of to Santa Cruz, you know? And so if if it's possible to make that system make more sense, it, it like it would be a win for the NBA as well. And it's just it's been strange to me over the last few years. You like this the the NBA speaks out on like a dozen different issues every year and they've sort of like stayed on the sidelines with an issue that affects like a large percentage of their players every year, um, or at least like prospective players. So it that that's the part that just kind of strikes me as odd. Yeah, I know. Politics as usual, as Jay-Z would say. <laughs> Fantastic Jay-Z quote there. Yeah. Uh I, I don't know. All of this stuff is fascinating. Like I would watch an extensive documentary on the college hoops underworld uh and just like how guys get paid like I've heard that they the the sneaker companies are in competition but also sort of like work together to keep prices down on some of the players um I don't know it's it's a fascinating world that should all be it, I I do hope that like we're we're watching the end of the NCA's reign here because it's been screwed up for too long but let's move on here we've got a couple speaking of younger players we have a couple follow-ups to the under 23 question and then uh <laughs> And then we've got one person who simulated Team Sharp versus Team Gulliver. Uh, but first, Eric says, listening to your top 10 under-23 teams, and I'm wondering if you guys just forgot about Miles Turner because you don't watch the Pacers, or if you really don't think he's as good as people like Lowry Marketing. I'd take Turner for his two-way ability any day of the week. What do you think, Ben?
1: Well, it was really funny to see all these people bag on your pick of Lowry because I didn't have Lowry on my list. But it's funny to me because during the top 100 exercise, you always do this to me. You'll isolate in on one player who, for whatever reason, you don't like. and And for a few years there, it was like Kyle Korver, right? And you'll just bang that drum. Well, this player is better than Kyle Korver. We had so many people doing that to you. With your Lowry comparison, because you're so high on Lowry, and I know you got into some ugly back and forth with Knicks fans over Lowry versus Chris Stapps. Um, uh-huh. I think Lowry versus Turner, it's a little closer. I, I just don't feel like Turner's had that great of a season, has he?
0: Yeah, he's, I mean, I think Miles Turner, like, it's it's fair to say that if he played in a different market, he would be a bigger deal but he has been kind of underwhelming this year and i i think part of that might be the fit with someone like Sabonis part of that has been injuries and that's also part of like the long-term concern with him and and why he slid in the draft it's like people weren't sure about his body but he does like once every five or six games put up numbers where you're like oh my god like this is the, the this is the fifth unicorn and like people should be making a bigger deal about Miles Turner and the Pacers should be building around him so it's hard to say like which version of of that story is real.
1: Yeah, I think he's a good case study of like, these are very fluid rankings. Like if we had ranked this at the start of the season, I think I would have had Miles Turner much higher than I did, probably towards the back half of the top 10 under the assumption that they were going to be running basically everything through him. He was going to show major growth this season as a scorer uh, and he was going to be sort of like their go-to guy. I mean, a comparison that I had made I think before the season was to a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge who like in years three and four really kind of ramped up what his role was but this season you know it's been just kind of a uh, continuation of last year like you're saying he's not a clear-cut major minute like major usage type of player for them Uh, you know you put him in a vacuum like are there better situations you know potentially uh, you know around the league than what he's dealing with currently but uh, I still think that his ceiling maybe isn't quite as high as we thought it could be when he was first drafted because he was viewed as, I think, kind of like a a high ceiling type of guy. Um, And we just haven't really necessarily seen that yet. So uh, I don't think it was a massive snub. Uh, Him versus Lowry, I think that's a more compelling uh, (laughs) question.
0: You're not all all the way there yet with Lowry. And I I appreciate you for for going easy on me and and just giving me the benefit of the doubt with my, my Lowry love.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, his argument essentially is the emailers, is that Turner is going to give you legit shot blocking. And as he fills out, he's going to be maybe he's not Porzingis, maybe he's not Embiid, but he's going to give you a five who can really play big minutes and be kind of like the backline guy for a defense. And yeah. I guess my point is there's guys on this list who have already become that. Is Turner a better candidate to do that than Lowry? There's no question about it. Is he going to be able to kind of. Uh, be easier to build lineups around kind of going forward. Uh, I would assume so, uh, but we still just need to see more.
0: Um, all right. Yeah. I don't really have passionate thoughts about Miles Turner. I think like he's an example of somebody who blocks shots. So people are uh, like, think of him as a great defender and he's not really a great defender. He's, he's like, there's a difference between Miles Turner and Joel Embiid is is what I would say. Um, but Uh, which is understatement of the season from us. Uh, Kevin says, Aaron Gordon is already better or at least better than half of the 20 and 23 and under nominations, but somehow he was completely omitted from both of your guys' lists. Just in case you didn't know, he's 22 years old. I know you guys can't watch every team, but please tune in to a magic game every once in a while. You'll realize this was an idiotic mistake. Look, I understand you just said that the lists are fluid. They go back and forth. Who knows what 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 any of this will look like in 3 years. Aaron Gordon is not going to be on that superstar level ever. I'm I'm like out on Aaron Gordon. It, he is one of those pl- people who's in a zone where he's going to have to be paid like a star and I just don't think he's ever going to be that type of player. I would love him as a role player. Um I guess the best comparison to me w- with Aaron Gordon would be someone like Iguodala, like where Iguodala was really frustrating for some of the years he was on the Sixers because he just wasn't good enough to sort of carry them into a different tier. Whereas he finally found the right place uh, when he got to Denver and then to um, to Golden State. Like he was allowed to just be like, a fifth starter who was really good at a lot of different things and helped a good team, but he, he's not a central guy. And so Aaron Gordon, I think like people were like, should the Magic pay him $130 million this summer? Like, no, they shouldn't. And I don't know which team should, but it, we just have to kind of wait until he people start viewing him more rationally.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I can't say I'm surprised that you know he really came after us for not really uh, including Gordon in our discussion. I think Aaron Gordon is more productive than some of the guys on the list. There's no question, and maybe even half the guys on the list. He's got the numbers, but uh, we were talking about guys who are going to carry teams to deep postseason runs. I mean, right now we're trying to see Aaron Gordon win 30 games once. You know, there's there's a big jump there, and he's he's improved as a three point shooter. Yeah, yeah, it's not as good as it was early in the season. I think he's going to wind up being a guy who can shoot, but he's not a guy who you can run your offense through and have it be a really good offense. He's not dynamic enough as a playmaker or with the ball in his hands, creative enough off the dribble, any of that stuff to say, okay, he's going to be your you know number one or number two option on a really elite offense. And you know, positionally, like you're saying it would also an interesting comp because you know Gordon can play multiple positions but again that puts pressure on finding other skill sets to complement him right like he's not going to be right. that interior defensive player so you have to have the exact right defensive guy to flank him um and now we're getting into lots and lots of what ifs where I feel pretty comfortable leaving him uh, off our top 10 I mean he's not going to be probably outside the top 15 for this group uh so it's not like the world's most gigantic snub but I don't know. I think you got to look at him a little bit more realistically if you're a Magic fan. I mean, he's the best thing you've got. But just like you know, Magic fans are always clowning on us for not watching their games. Watch everybody else's games. You know, you're going to see that the, the grass is greener <laughs> lots of other places than in Orlando.
0: Yeah, he's he's gonna be a good player at some point in his career. But I think right now he's the problem in Orlando is that he's been asked to do too much. And he's just not quite that level of player yet. Um, and uh, so I, I'm rooting for him to go to the Spurs in like year eight and he'll be awesome. But until then, I'm kind of out on Aaron Gordon hype. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So Matt says, I was struck by last week's discussion on top 10 under 23s when Andrew said during the draft, he was sick of talking so much about Lonzo and pretending he liked him. Huh? Why not say that at the time? Is it just because everyone else was talking him up? Andrew had to join in. It then reminded me of a previous show where Andrew said he got caught in groupthink around marketing and started to get down on him. So this is a really fair response. All I will say is that when I'm when I was doing the draft stuff for SI, I was like representing Sports Illustrated because I was sort of like our draft guy, and uh, and I had to do the mock drafts and everything else. So like as a representative of like the entire si like i couldn't just sit there and be like lonzo is trash like lonzo's jumper is not ever going to be good and he's overhyped and whatever and so that was part of part of the reason i i like held back a little bit and as far as the marketing issue group think around the draft is very real because like most of us are not in gyms with these people so when a couple scouts who are start to talk about a guy as being either a riser and better than people expected or a faller, like, you you have to sort of take that seriously because we're all kind of in the dark on this one.
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't say that your big flaw is uh, hiding your opinions. You know, I, I think you're... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when it comes to draft analysis, like, you know, you usually are out there on guys. You usually give us a pretty honest assessments. Now, sometimes I don't know where they come from. I'll be honest. Sometimes they leave me scratching my head. But Matt, lay off. Andrew's a pretty straight shooter. And, you know, sometimes, Andrew, you could be a little meaner. I will say that. You know, you sometimes you, you couch your opinion and you try to say it like the professional analysts like you can just come out and crush guys every once in a while. That's okay too. Even if they're, you I know, pre-draft prospects and they're teenagers. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: just, you know, feel yeah. free to
1: do that. But I, I don't think he's identifying the real problem here.
0: Well, listen, don't give up on De'Aaron Fox just yet. Okay, I I've <laughs> okay. still got a lot of stock. Um, all right, two more questions. Taylor says, "I was at Nick's Warriors earlier this week." and I was close enough to Zaza that I just started to start saying Russell Westbrook over and over again. When he came back at halftime, he decided to say, you know what, son, you're a dick. Should I feel accomplished that the dirtiest player in the league called me a dick? I felt accomplished at the time.
1: Taylor, you're a troll. I mean, that's congratulations. (laughs) I don't know. Do you want an award for that? I mean, this isn't the most creative heckling I've ever heard, Andrew.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be better. I think just having an interaction with Zaza is something to be proud of and something to be happy about. But um, the actual accomplishment is is not that impressive.
1: Hearing it in Zaza's voice would have made it funnier. I mean, Taylor, to take your game to the next level, I mean, you're going to have to join like the movement that started in like 2013 and (laughs) 14, where you're filming this with your cell phone camera so that you can immediately upload it to Twitter and Instagram and get yourself a million
0: views by having Zaza clown you uh, on your camera. That's true. If anything, this is really a missed opportunity, and and you should feel ashamed, not accomplished.
1: Yeah, and you know Zaza is going to be in more incidents. So my recommendation to you, Taylor, is to just follow him around, follow the Warriors around in the next games, wait until he lands on someone again, (laughs) and then try the whole thing over with the
0: camera rolling. It could work out better. All right, last question here. We're keeping it short this week. Um, Nelson says... I was listening back to the Top 100 pod, and it got me thinking, who is the true basketball mind of the Open Floor podcast? I found a website where you can create teams and play them against each other, whatifsports.com, and I created two squads, Team Sharp and Team Golliver. Sharp's team included Steph Curry, John Wall, D'Angelo Russell, Kyrie, Lou Williams, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Gary Harris, Carl Towns, Otto Porter, Joel Embiid, and Nerlens Noel. That Goliver's really is roster. your. That's really your
1: dream team, though. I mean, he nailed it's, these rosters.
0: Honestly, the best part about this email was seeing all of my favorite players laid out in one in one sentence like that. Um, yeah, Goliver's the best part. Roster. Well,
1: hold on, because the best part to me was seeing D'Angelo Russell's name because we haven't talked about him all season. It's <laughs> another one of your favorite pre-draft players. Yes. But anyway, continue.
0: <laughs> yeah, D'Angelo Russell. That. Uh, Like De'Aaron Fox, just wait on it, okay? Give me a few more years. Um, Ben Golliver's roster was James Harden, Patty Mills, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Kevin Durant, Chris Middleton, Kawhi Leonard, Paul Millsap, Derek Favors, Chris Stapps-Porzingis, Blake Griffin, and Cody Zeller. (laughs) (laughs) Zeller. Zeller thrown in there. I gave Andrew's team the home court advantage for a seven-game series, thinking he would need all the help he could get. I have copied box scores for each game below as well as quick synopses. As you can see, it was a barn burner of a series. Now look, I'm not going to subject people to reading the synopses of our seven game series, but suffice to say, I blew a 3-1 lead, and I think Ben's team won Ben's team won in seven. I, I love that Ben's your home court was uh, the Rose Garden in Portland or the Moda Center, whatever we're calling it now. And, uh, and I was, of course, at Verizon Center. I just want to say that my number one takeaway from all of this is that what if sports is not very good because my team is stacked and would beat the crap out of your team.
1: Yeah, you would think that. Um, let me just say, first of all, to, to Nelson, these were not quick synopses, okay? He gave us like full breakdowns on how many players scored in double figures in, in each game. <laughs> uh, he gave us field goal percentages. You know, in game seven, your team choked so badly you shot a quote unquote, a dreadful twenty eight point four percent from the field. My team won going away one ten seventy two As he notes, DAngelo Russell was of all people was the only player to show up for your squad. Uh, meanwhile, uh, five team Golliver members recorded multiple steals and that's how you win, Andrew defense <laughs> wins championships. And I think that's really what the, what of sports, uh, website, uh, proved here. And also what Nelson proved and also what my philosophy on basketball, uh, the team Golliver approach proved over and over again. So, you know, we can, uh, cut through, um, all of the highlight reels that your players might be able to produce, all the buckets that you guys might be able to get, and really look at what's important and distill it down. And you know, after a seven-game series, you know it's no surprise who came out on top.
0: Look, all I know is that Greg Popovich is currently starting DeJounte Murray over Patty Mills. So Pop knows what's up. Pop knows which of the open floor minds to trust. And uh, But you're doing great too, okay? So don't, I don't want you to get down on yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, the funny part is you said that like it was smart, but then you realize that starting lineups are just sort of arbitrary, and it's all about the collective <laughs> combinations and spur culture. He's closing I mean, with if, Patty. It,
0: I'll admit. Okay.
1: Look, if if we cared about starting lineups, don't you think Manu Ginobili would have had a slightly different career? No, it's all about the the, <laughs> the the way to exploit mismatches and put together the the best five man group over the course of forty eight minutes. But look, Andrew, there's plenty of time for you to learn that in next year's seven game rundown. I'm sure Nelson will. Uh, let us know how the rematch worked out. But until then, people should send us emails, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Guys, we're closing in on 26,000 five-star reviews. It's phenomenal feedback from all you guys. We really appreciate every single one. I'm Ben Ben.Goliver on Instagram. Andrew is going to go get some tea and some uh, you know other stuff to wait. soothe his throat and you know i'm impressed andrew you fought through like a champ today so congratulations to you i'll talk to you next week
0: yeah man hit us up thank you to everyone for bearing with me during this flu podcast and uh we will be back next week and stretch run here we go you know it'll be fun i'll talk to you another great edition of open floor is in the books did you know locked on has a daily podcast for all 30 nba teams If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.